to the Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober. I'm Alex, one half of Be Sober. And I'm Lisa, the other half. So if you're new to our podcast, Lisa and I have been best friends since high school and after many years of getting absolutely smashed together, we decided to experiment with being sober together. You can find out more about our story by going back to the start of season one. I wanted to sing, you're my bestie then. (laughs) (laughs) So we started Be Sober with the vision to connect people living a sober or sober curious lifestyle. We wanted to help them feel less alone and show them that you can still have fun without booze. Be Sober is now the only sober community that has absolutely everything that you could possibly need in one place. And we believe from the bottom of our hearts that everyone who doesn't want to drink just deserves to feel normal. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Alex. How's your week been? Well, you know what? Forget your week. I want to talk about your holiday because you've just got back and I'm mega jealous. I've never been as jealous of a holiday in my life. (laughs) Oh, I really tried to stay off social media as well. So I didn't actually post anything when I was on holiday. Just when I got back. Mm, Is that really, 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 really true? Or did you have a sneaky go on social media and said, I've had a sneaky go on social media? Yeah, but that is because. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I do that? Can you remember? I don't know. You'll have been missing us. You know know what it was? It was a moment we'd gone to um, the Sky Bar in our hotel, which was at the most incredible views. And I was just so filled with gratitude, right? I got brought over this amazing, lovely, scrumptious, alcohol-free mojito. And I was sat there just feeling so grateful for everything in my life because I just wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't have stopped drinking. So I did never guess that everything's down to you not drinking, you know. Shut up. It is though. Everything I do is down to not drinking. And I think I I was just so overwhelmed with it all. And I thought, you know what? I need to share this moment because as much as we do talk about like how hard life can be, which it is, you know, shit happens, but also it can be pretty amazing. And I feel that the amazings are just so much more amazing. So hopefully it weren't like a show off post. It was more of a. Oh, it really wasn't. That's just me. I was jealous. And then, of course, the closer article went out. Yeah, so, the closer article went out, and we had our brunch, and you had your dip. Everything was just dead full on straight after it and during it, wasn't it? Yeah, and I'm, I'm feeling it a bit now, Anna. I? <laughs> I know Lisa's not very well today, but she's doing a really good acting voice. <laughs> I am. I'm trying so hard. I'm sweating and everything. Like I can feel it rising, rising up my body. <laughs> but um, yeah, I th- you know what? In truth, I think I might have overdone it a little bit. And yes. I know Alex that I should that you did tell me not to do this but I literally landed on the Friday and on the Saturday we had the Be Sober brunch in Manchester which was amazing it was lovely. and then we had a cold water dip over at Cheesedon Lum Mill again that included like a 5k walk which was amazing yeah. and then on the Sunday I did a massive hike <laughs> So, oh yeah, with uh, Sue Tickles group. Yeah, yeah. What they called was, Active yeah. Friends, isn't it? Active Friends. Active Friends. It was just amazing. And I, I love doing all these things. And then on Monday, I was up ready for your B-Fit session because I'd missed it so much while I was away. I could feel like idgity that I'd not done any exercise. <laughs> Is that even a word? No. Don't know. Don't know. <laughs> it's a good one. We'll have it. We'll adopt it as a word. So then I was up doing your you've, I think you've mixed up itchy and fidgety. Do you think and just made a brand new is, word? Is, it, is itchy even a word or is that just what our mums used to say? I'm itchy. itchy. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a word. Is like I, I used to say itchy when, you know, if somebody like pinched one side of my arm, I'd need the yeah, other Yeah, you're itchy pinching. to the other one. Yeah, that I get it. I'm the same. Itchy. Yeah, but is it real or is it just what it's made me itchy? I reckon it's real. We'll, we'll find we'll out. Let us know. Can I tell you something else that I now know isn't a real word? I've known it for a few years, but I don't think you know it's not a real word. Okay. <laughs> Is it something like I use every single day in public, yeah. at like yeah. corporate events or something? No, you definitely don't use it at corporate events, but you definitely use it. And the only reason I know you use it is because I use it or have used it until my husband told me it's not a word. So I was like, yeah, it is. This is like the last two years. And he was like, it's not. That's not how you say it. And I was like, it is a word. So I looked it up and it isn't. Do you want to know what, what it is? is? Yeah, of course I do. Squoze. 
squaws. I, I kind of think that isn't a word. <laughs> Not a universe. <laughs> like, I squaws into it. That is definitely a little bit of a thing, right? I've squ- said, for oh, yeah, when you say like into that, it. I squaws into it. Yeah, you definitely do say that, and I definitely did. But you well, how many times am I like squeezing into stuff? <laughs> I don't know if you say no, I don't like squeeze into something every day. No, I don't think you use it like that. I like definitely what? don't have to squeeze into my pants anymore since doing since um, our it. lovely <laughs> sessions. No, no. <laughs> Um, I think it's like things like oh I have to uh, and I squoze it into my day you know like uh, because we're busy yeah. but I yeah. 100% used to do it and I meant to tell you the other day and I thought oh no she likes that word I'm not going to have I don't want to ruin you know it what? Forever. I can no, tell I it's not a word because I wouldn't know how to spell it like <laughs> I, it's I froze though you know like I it, I, I froze oh, oh yeah no it's just freaking me out yeah I just said squished squished. I love the word squished in fact, there was a conversation amongst our ambassadors, you know, about their favourite words on was our there? team chat. Yeah, there was what all sorts of coming Oh, I can't remember that. Don't ask me that. Now it looks like I'm not as interested as I was. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did get quite into it. But yeah, so my husband told me squoze isn't a word. I'm a bit gutted. Oh, so now wow. I can't say it. So it's squeezed and he still picks me up on it. Do you know what else isn't a word? What? Crockled. <laughs> Oh, I know. That is definitely from where we have been brought up. So anybody Northern, I actually don't even think it's just Northern. I think, <laughs> like, from our area. Did I tell you about my um, ex-father-in-law? So we were on a walk years ago. I was in my 20s and I went over on my ankle, which is what it means when you kind of fall onto your ankle. There's no other word yeah, for yeah, it. It's, it's just, just a when you're crookled. Yeah, and I went, oh, I've just crookled. And I swear to God, because I'd only known him a few months, he looked round and he was like, are you going to excuse yourself? He thought I meant I'd trumped. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And, he, and he actually said, are you going to excuse you yourself? Gonna excuse yourself? Yeah, it was funny. He was joking. He wasn't like, will you excuse yourself? He was laughing. And I went, oh, oh no, it don't mean that. Do you not have that word down south? Here's another one. And everyone in the Midlands will know this one. Gamble. A gamble. It's like I'd... a roly-poly. No. Yeah, it is. It's a roly-poly. Never... A gamble. So you gamble yeah. down the hill. Yeah. Yeah, no and way. I know that obvious because my husband's from the Midlands. But yeah, we'll say, "Oh, I did a gamble," and I was like, "What?" I am telling you now, your <laughs> husband did not do a gamble. He definitely did when he was three. <laughs> There's loads of stuff That's like that. Like, it's like Snicket and Ginnell, isn't it, for an alleyway? Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't even know how we've got onto that conversation. But yeah, so back to your holiday. You had a really relaxing time and then you were full on in. Yeah. Did yeah, you miss the beef fit? I did. I felt a little bit idgy. <laughs> like that, that's where <laughs> it came from. I've not, but we got like quite a bit of walking in because it was just, there were quite a lot to explore. Um, but in truth, I, lo- I loved just relaxing. I don't know the last time I just sat and it was so nice to spend some like more than a few days with Rob and just, it was just lovely. It was just so nice. The hardest decision all was day. coming home. <laughs> not well, yeah. But not, it was what to eat. And I don't even know why that decision was so hard because the menu was the same in every single restaurant. <laughs> I love what Olivia, your daughter, said to you when you phoned up. What did she say? About how relaxed you sounded. I love it. Oh, she did. I was... <laughs> I was by the pool and I drank up for something. And she said, what are you doing? So I said, oh, I'm just lay by the pool. And she went, I've never heard this voice. She went, you sound so chilled out. She was like, it's weird. What, what is this voice? <laughs> no, it's nice. But you've, you've kind of, that, and that's probably why you feel a bit crappy today, to be fair, because you're now back at it full on. We were also laughing, weren't we? Because I picked Lisa up from the airport on Friday. Was it Friday? Gosh, that's gone quick. Yeah. On Friday. And so this is how different... I might as well have walked, to be fair. <laughs> we were, yeah, we were having this chat about the differences and why Be Sober works so well. And it genuinely is because I'm very factual, matter of fact. There's no in-between. It's right, it's wrong, it's black, it's white. And Lisa's very creative and in the middle and looks for the hidden messages. I don't, I don't get hidden messages. You just have to say, if you want it done... Tell me what you want done because if you want me to guess, it's not getting done. And you even <laughs> said that about some of the work I'm doing. If I've got a deadline, I'll do it, but don't sort of airy fairy along with me. 
I need to Oh, no, definitely. No. You need deadlines, don't you? If someone gives me a deadline, I tell them where to stick it. And <laughs> you, like, love deadlines. And a list, yeah. So, like, I'd gone into the car park, into the short stay pickup car park. And as I was pulling in, because they've, they've um, changed our Manchester Airport approach, Terminal 2. So, as I come in, I asked uh, one of the car park attendants, where do I park for pickup? And he said, it's over there in the corner on the, on the left. <laughs> and I literally drove as far as you could. <laughs> to the left corner and parked up and then I got out and I thought I was walking towards the terminal I thought I'm in this drop off zone for bloody ages <laughs> it really you're like was the, the furthest away ever <laughs> but you know I thought you could do with the exercise after all that lazing around by the pool <laughs> it looked it was- active actually your holiday it looked more active than lazing around no, it was well. We walked honestly, right? The, I'm, I'm really struggling to talk about it. I can I tell it, because I didn't do anything. So, like, I'm like, I just went away and did nothing for a week. Really enjoyed my time with my boyfriend. No, it's done. And well, no, I didn't do anything that I'd be like chatting about. Oh well, let's stop. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Then <laughs> oh, it was just a really nice time. The um, the alcohol free options. Let's go to that. So I managed to. I lived off iced coffees, which was re- I really enjoyed them. If I'd have been early in my sobriety. I'd have maybe struggled a little bit because they only had alcohol-free beers, which I'm fine with, um, yeah. you know, in the restaurants and stuff. But the, oh my God, guess how much it cost us for four alcohol-free cocktails in the Sky Bar. I don't know, but I, I, I'm either going to guess really high or really low, so I reckon it's going to be expensive, isn't it? Yeah, 36 quid, 45 No. And they weren't a menu, so I didn't know I'd have only had one, to be fair. I'd have had one, took a picture and come back downstairs. <laughs> but yeah, 36 quid. And if I'd have got the same drink on the floor downstairs, it had been four euros. <laughs> You're joking. You should no. have got it and walked upstairs with it and sat I know. Roof. It was really, really expensive, but it was so lovely. I like what one of our members has done. So she's going on holiday very, very soon and she has phoned ahead or emailed ahead yeah. and checked checked on the alcohol-free options. So she's not just winging it. She's not just leaving its chance because it's things like that, like you say, that can really catch you out early on, isn't it? Absolutely. Like when we got there, there was a mini bar in the room. So like because of where I am, it didn't even bother me that there was a, a mini bar in the room. But yeah. had I been earlier, I might have found that really difficult. Well, you can um, ask them to enter I, the mini bar, can't you? Yeah. yeah, it might be an idea if anybody is going. They're so helpful, the hotels. So you could just ring up and say, can you enter the mini bar and maybe get some. But there were no alcohol-free beers in the shops or anything. But they could put you some soft drinks in, though, at least. You could yeah, say, can you replace could. it with soft drinks and water or whatever, or put extra tea and coffee in my whatever. Yeah. I'm sure they'll help, won't they? Yeah, definitely. It's um, So I could see how people would be triggered. Yeah. But also I think coming up to four years, and I don't think you should ever be like tech your sobriety for granted. Yeah. But, um, so I, I, but I was more aware how it would have affected me earlier on, but it didn't really affect me, to be fair. It's weird that you're talking about, well, maybe not so weird because the conversation's gone that way, but on the BeFit this morning, we were talking about Soberversaries. So yeah. it's our lovely ambassador, Gainer's Soberversary on the 1st of June, which as we're recording, this is today. So if you're listening, Gainer, happy Soberversary. Happy two Soberversary. Well um, there's others coming up. Mine tomorrow. Yay! Years. So is it three years tomorrow? Three years, yeah. And then there's our Caths on the 9th, no, on the 2nd of July next month. She'll be four years and you're a week yeah. after that on the 9th, aren't you? Yeah, four it's years. Amazing. Can you believe, right, look at us. Like, I'm just looking at your face now. This is the funniest thing ever. Like, what the hell? Like, you're going to be three years sober tomorrow. I know. Like, I know. who'd have thought that? I know, but the thing is, right, honestly, and I know that I'm going to steal your line now, surprise, surprise, but I am so grateful <laughs> for it. <laughs> yeah, but you're allowed to be grateful. That, that, <laughs> it is just such an amazing thing, isn't it? Like, what you're yeah. doing now, do you reckon that you wouldn't have been 
Well, where should we start? Should we start with being a good mum, reading stories to my son every single night, still my little one? Should we talk about how, even though I wasn't very well last night, I got into bed in my double bed, got him in with me, and he, he was reading to me, and then I was still like with him. Um, let, let Playing the organ, right? I'm sorry, there is no way I would get up on a Sunday morning, go to church and play the organ, because I'd be too hungover. My Sunday no. mornings were for sleeping off the hangover. There is no way on earth, even though I love doing it, that I would have done that. I wouldn't have been reliable enough to do it. No. I'd have seen that as eating into my weekend. And yeah. actually, I love doing it. The dips, the walks, the brunches, part of Be Sober, the fitness, getting up four mornings a week at 6.30. There's no way I'd do that. No way on earth. So, yeah. Lo- loads of stuff and that's just stuff that I can pluck out of thin air I reckon if I think there's more do you reckon like I don't even know what I'm going to say because <laughs> you will <laughs> I can feel myself going under <laughs> that is but, the end of the podcast listeners goodbye <laughs> actually honestly oh, she's wafting a top now she's wafting I'm so wafting. hot what, what if this is not illness like what if I'm like if menopausal or something well, I don't think so. I don't think you get a blocked nose and start having tingly skin with the <laughs> you can't menopause. Get flu symptoms. There's a lot of symptoms, but I don't think that's one. You definitely do sound a bit fluy and as if you're going to yeah. come down with the flu. Yeah. Well, I've got up, I've had a banana, I've had um, like a barocca, a honey and chamomile tea I'm drinking. That's another thing, you see. I wouldn't have looked after myself quite this much if, um, if I'd have still been drinking. No, you definitely wouldn't. I'd have looked like this for. Because you went like that, you said, oh, I look really ill today, I don't look right, and you don't. Only because I know you, I can see you're unwell. So yeah. Eve, there's another benefit of sobriety, even when you feel like shit, you don't look like shit. <laughs> you don't look as bad as you could. So anyway, do you want to introduce our guest, Lisa, because it'll be coming on in a minute. Yeah, but before I do, can I just say this? I was just thinking then about the holiday and that oh, I didn't yeah. have anything to talk about, but I've just remembered this. Oh, yeah, here we go. Four minutes to go and here she comes up with a story. Go on. And no, it's not, you know, not that many people drank that much in my hotel. Did they not? Like, no, <clears throat> I couldn't believe it. Like, throughout the day, I saw a few people get cocktails and we got an iced coffee and somebody was like, oh, is that a pina colada? I said, no, it's a nice coffee. And they were on coffee anyway. But I didn't really see any, like, in my old, my old, me, in the old days, would have been, looking back, probably the drunkest person there. Oh, I've thought that this traumatises me. I've thought this when I look back on my holiday in Turkey, I was the only one who was going every night. Like it's like oh, not what I did not see one person like that on holiday until I got back to the airport and there was a couple in the airport and they were really, really arguing. She was in tears saying, Give me my stuff back, and he was stomping up and down. And again, I actually took a moment to I felt so sorry for both of them that it was obviously a drunk fueled argument that had been drinking on the plane and then they'd fallen out. And mm-hmm. and it honestly reminded me a bit of my old relationship. And I thought that stuff like that has happened. And I could it's see people in uh, this couple. And I just, honestly, my heart sank for them. And I kind of just took a minute to be like, thank God. God, I'm not there anymore. And I didn't yeah. mean that in a really judgy way to I really felt for him. Yeah, it's not I like was, you're judging them. It's like a judgment on you. Thank God I'm out of it. Like, Yeah, it, honestly, it felt like a bit of a sign. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. just to go, you're, you're not this anymore. You're not doing this anymore. And I, again, I was very grateful. I really was. But yeah, I would have been definitely the only, probably one of the drunkest people in that hotel. Right, I'll introduce the guest now. I'm so sorry. Um, So we're going to talk to Gary today. Gary is actually a registered mental health nurse and a level three qualified personal trainer. He's been sober for over eight years. Gary says he struggled with alcohol and drug abuse for the better part of 15 years. Getting and staying sober has enabled Gary, he says, to pursue a life of love, purpose, fulfillment. And he's fortunate enough now to be able to use those experiences to carry hope for other individuals and families who are actively struggling with addiction and we just love anybody who helps people so arc fitness which gary runs is a bit like be sober it's a not-for-profit social enterprise based in the northwest of ireland oh my 
gosh, let's not talk about Ireland and our trips to Ireland. <laughs> but um, they've got a unique approach to tackling the stigma of substance misuse, and this enables individuals and their supporters to improve their mental and physical well-being through physical activity, professional support, education, and community. Hi guys. How are you doing? Are you well? We are, yeah. We're so honestly, this has been a long, long time in the making this podcast because we took a break. You were due on ages ago and we've been yeah. desperate to speak to you. Life just got in the way, but look, now we're here and I'm excited. Yay! Thanks for agreeing to come on. So we're going to go straight in if you're all right with that. We've done a little bit of an introduction based on the information that we found. We've done a bit of digging on you and we found out stuff. <laughs> so um, before we kind of funny, ask about... Years ago, years ago, that would have freaked me out. <laughs> I could imagine. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, before we get into talking about ARC Fitness and about the community that you run, can we hear a bit about you? And could you tell us a little bit about your recovery journey, please? Uh-huh, 100%. So um, it's really funny whenever I'm asked this, um, I kind of frame it. So I, I am a, I'm a, an addiction nurse therapist. Um, I'm a registered mental health nurse, a personal trainer, and I'm a husband and a father. So that's what I am. Um, I'm the, the, the founder of a not-for-profit organization. And I always add at the very bottom, I'm a person in long-term recovery from, from substance misuse, drug and alcohol addiction because society would have defined that as being the main thing and yeah. we're like we're so much more than our problem um and i think that's really important um because for years we like we stigmatize and all that sort of stuff um but hi gary is a lot more than than that stuff and that relationship and all that sort of stuff before um but hi look i started off life you know i didn't have major traumas life was fine i had loving parents and stuff like that but just highly anxious um as a kid grew up in northern ireland you know obviously there's situational factors around here um and then i was bullied at school and hey i jumped into using drugs and alcohol straight away to cope to feel confident um and to be accepted that's kind of acceptance part of my life but then I just continued into me me from my adolescence into me my twenties and I just continued the spiral the drugs got harder the alcohol got more excessive and the chaos and the destruction that comes with that. Um and you know failed marriages, convictions, you know, I've lost parts of my body, I've broke my back 2005 and it was all the chaotic stuff that comes with the this the lifestyle that things run. However, 2009 was the start of the change process where marriage had failed. Um, I went on the residential treatment because I thought this is, I'll go in here now, I'll do four weeks, everybody will get off my back and it'll be grand. I'll come out and I'll be fine. Well, like for the first time in years I was sober, I was like, I don't know what to deal with. <laughs> I couldn't, I, life, what? Um, and things got progressively worse for a while and then decided myself to enter treatment again. And spent three months in a, a residential treatment centre, and that was the start of the process. And managed to get sober with the right support and the right help and the right people around me. Um, and exercise was a huge part of that recovery space. <laughs> and we find when we stop using, we're like, well, what goes in here now? Um, and I started that and then went back and retrained. Um, got a, a period of time sober, went back, retrained, became a nurse. And the desire was always to work with people who were struggling with substances um, and use that how the importance of exercise. And uh, now I'm here now, and this is I suppose the, the power of, of recovery, as we would call it. Like married, and my father was able to bring back all the things that I thought I was never going to have as a result of my use. So it's been a bit of a wild ride. It's amazing what you're talking about there. I mean, obviously the journey to it, but what what kind of, you know, you said with the right support, what was the, I, I know it'll be a combination of everything, but what do you think the main kind of factor in, in the change was there? Do you know what? And it's really, I think people needed to see me. Um, so despite the outward behaviours of the things that were happening around me, like I was struggling, like I was, you know, I was sad, I was vulnerable, I was scared, I was all of those things. And whenever people started treating me as a person, um, irrespective of the, the issue that was there, um, I started to see that things could change. So the people that were around me were really encouraging. 
Um, the language that they were using was encouraging. Now, also giving me the kick in the ass that I needed yeah. at the time. You know, they weren't walkovers. Um, and I had tried many different things. So I had tried 12-step treatment. I had been in the rooms and stuff like that, and I never deter people from using them. Um, and I learned a lot of from, from different things. But I think for me, it was that human aspect that, you know, this is about my relationship with the substances that I have created that I need to learn to undo and change. Yeah. And when I heard it like that, it was easier for me to accept the help. When I thought that somebody was going to call me an addict or an alcoholic and I was going to be me for the rest of my life, I find that really hard. But when it was when I looked at it like relationship, because we all understand relationships, we either have good ones or bad ones. You can see how they form and, and things that need to be changed. So that was it. So good people, honest people, um, people who were necessarily walkovers, but who saw you for the person and not the problem. Can I, I've just seen on your Instagram actually about that you do an Empowering Families program. So is that something that, did it affect your family? How how did it affect your family? And is that why you're now doing that? So for, I think for years throughout the, the chaos, they, they, I, I had moved away from home. So I was kind of doing all this in, in an isolated fashion and they always knew and there was always the fear and they couldn't really do anything. And then, when I landed back home, I was away for 10 years and came back home, two bags of clothes and just dumped myself into their life. <laughs> the cyclone and the chaos of everything. They had no idea what to do. They, you know, support was minimal. They didn't know what was right, what was wrong. Everybody was telling them all of these things. So they felt really, they had to deal with this the best that they possibly could. Um, and I think we're really good at helping and support the individuals, which is really important. Of course it is. But we forget that this impacts everybody. So this impacts the people that are in their lives. So what support are they are they getting? What do they understand about addiction and dependence and you know how drugs and alcohol affect the actual the working of the human body and things like that? And that was the reason why we started the, the family program. So we co-facilitate a program. So my wife, Sarah, wonderful. She's a CBT therapist. She's lived with me for 10 years now. So she's lived with uh, somebody who's been relapsing. She's lived with me, you know, as I've been on that journey. And then also I've got my experience. So we both bring that to, to the group. And it's just a really nice service they offer. So we love, love doing it. But it's just a really big gap for people. I think that's brilliant and it must really give people hope to kind of see you doing that together when if you have had relapses during your relationship it's when you were saying that then Gary about like landing yourself at home so I've got um and I don't talk about that much on the podcast but I've got a 19 year old son that has landed himself at home in a very similar situation and I just think like you say it's really hard because although I've stopped drinking yeah. um, substance abuse and drugs I, I don't get it and I don't really know how to help because I'm kind of at that stage and it, I feel really awful saying it and I suppose other families might feel the same it's like just stop just stop doing it because you're ruining your life and you're ruining everybody's life yeah. around you so you must see like a lot of that it's really needed your program then you know what like so the first night we 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 usually call it the tears and snotters night. So this is when the this oh I love that name. Oh, you're going. I'm going to send you. <laughs> this is when That's the amazing. tissues the tissues come out because like if you imagine maybe there's there's 15 people in a room now that feel that they have been the only family affected and dealing with this thing, and then you get everybody in the room and they're like, although the stories are different, all the feeling and the emotion and the frustration and the isolation is all they can relate. And it just all starts to come out. Um, and they feel that you're not alone and that other people are in it. It's so empowering because you can you can verbalize the things that you don't want to say to other people in case they judge your family. Or you can say the things that, that are really bothering you. You can say how much you're frustrated by the person yeah. and not feel judged about it. Because, I mean, it is. And my my family had to, had to adapt in different ways to, to manage me whenever I was at home. How my mom treated me and how my dad and sister were all very different. We'll get back to our chat shortly, but first let us tell you about some of the things we offer here at Be Sober. So, as usual, we don't want to bombard you with absolutely everything we do because there's so much. But what we do want to do is tell you a little bit each episode. So this week we're going to tell you all about our Be Fit sessions. 
The BeFit sessions run every Monday, Wednesday and Friday morning at the shocking time of 6.30am with a fully qualified PT. Honestly, the exercise is absolutely amazing and anyone of any ability can join in. All you need, a bit of water, a mat and a couple of weights. Or tins of beans. Or beans are fine. Yeah, tins of beans is fine if you want to test it out. The um, the fun isn't actually only in the exercise, but it's in the chat and the laughs that we have every single session. It's just so nice seeing everyone's smiley faces in the morning, and it really does set you up for an amazing day. So, BeFit is actually included with the Be Sober membership bargain but um you can now also get fit passes too so instead of spending your money getting wasted this week have a look in the be sober shop and treat yourself to a be fitness pass um and they're and they're they're fine with me talking about it we're quite open like my sister backed away she was aggressive so she was like no uh, my mum was like we'll do everything we can and my dad was like you're being an asshole i need to look after your mum yeah they all dealt with it in different ways it's so difficult anyway when families are involved. It is, and it's like honestly, we were introduced to Arc Fitness and therefore you through a friend of mine who's who's from Northern Ireland, and we met her through Be Sober, um, yeah. and she's from Northern Ireland. And obviously, at first, we the way that you was worded to us was Arc Fitness, they're a recovery fitness provider in Northern Ireland, and obviously, when you look at you, you're not just it's not just about fitness. You're a whole community. You're not for profit, just like us at Be Sober. There's so much more. So I think now might be a really good time for you to tell us a, a bit about the different things that Arc Fitness does. So whenever we first kind of set up, um, I was always very personal um, on my own social media, but my recovery journey, I always thought it was important to talk about it. Um, and then I was, I was at a leisure centre and a friend said, like, I a friend who was struggling I tried to share your your post but I, I couldn't share with him have you ever thought of setting up a page I was like well not really but I'll, I'll give it a go and I set up a page and within two weeks I was starting to get referrals from people and there was no infrastructure so we set that up then as, a, as an organization and we're three years later so we started off running a trial six-week recovery program for individuals who were looking to be sober who were looking to address that and use fitness and support and accountability. So we ran a trial group. We had no premises. A local commercial gym let us use their space. And we connected with the university. So I was always very aware that I can tell people this thing is a really good thing. But if I can't measure it or prove it, then that's so important. So we connected with Queen's University and we published a piece based on that. And it has grown from that. So our core is a a six-week recovery program. So people that are at that point in change where they're like, right, I'm ready to do this now. I've stopped and I'm going to give this a go. So we look at the, the physical side. So we provide training sessions throughout the week, different types of training, mindfulness yoga is in there. Um, we have group check-ins, one-to-one check-ins. We have access to therapy, CBT, dynamic running therapy. But we also have a six-week educational program that goes alongside it. So it's not just, you can go to any gym in the world and train two days a week. It doesn't mean you're going to be okay. So yeah. starting to understand addiction, understand the process of it, the process of change, living sober, you know, the mental health side of things. So it's a bigger piece. So that's our core. So that's what we do. So that's the individual aspect. Outside of that, we run those family support programs now. So we run them in six-week programs. So we'll take a six-week block. We'll, we'll cap it at 20 people. So 20 family members, only one per household, just to keep it kind of focused because it can become very about one one thing then. Um, and what has happened is we have created a community now of family support. And what we do is we merge the two. Three or four times a month, we have Saturday sessions, so classes or yoga or spin sessions where we invite the two communities to come together so they all train together. So people who are on a program, people who are in our community who have stayed on and family support members are now all doing this thing together. So you're getting, there's the hope. My, my joy will never change. There's John over there, and John was how like, amazing. Uh, look, look at him now. You know, it's so so important to do that. And then we do education work, so we do schools, community workshops, we do programs. We work for the probation service, the P, the, the the PSNI or the the police service over here. We we have 
um, connections with those. Uh, also the Western Trust, which we take people in the community forensic mental health team. We're very lucky because our team is quite mixed. So we have a team of 14 people. But only two of us are full time, and you yeah. don't understand that's so hard. Like, it's really hard. Yeah, funny because I was. You never stop, do you? Oh, I was listening to one of your podcasts, and it was about cost and membership, and it just was like hundred percent. I hear you on that, hundred percent. Yeah. Because the reason we could go full time, so I I left my nursing career. Um, well, I left my nursing post. I'm still a nurse, registered nurse, uh, a year ago because we got national lottery funding. So oh, well that, done. That allowed, that allowed myself um, and, and Mags Campbell, who's kind of the, the other manager here. We're the only two core full-time staff, but then we pay the facilitators for doing the work that they do. So peer support, for example, we have people who have done our program who are doing really well, who come in, we pay them for the work they do. They're, they're coaches, they do their smart recovery training, so they'll take our check-ins, they'll do loads of different things. Um, and then we have CBT therapists, but we have three mental health nurses on the team as well. Wow. Means the skill mix is really good. Um, so we can be quite flexible in what we do. Um, and it's funny, like you were saying, you know, you, you have to try and find ways to be sustainable. Yeah, you do. So for for us, we looked at how, how can we how can we make relationships with business? So we run an employee assistance program for a large engineer. You're so like us, honestly, really are. It's like it's like having a, a brother or sister company out in Northern <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> um, it is the employee assistance program we've just started, haven't we? As well, yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's just really, I think this is a lot of the work that we do is about kind of opening up the conversation about you know substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, and and recovery. And that just doesn't mean the community. And it's everything about that. It's the business, it's the schools, it's the community services. It's everything. It's like you said, then it's opening up the conversation, isn't it? I saw you, you said brought- this the other day, didn't you? On a, on, a, on a call we were on weirdly about workplaces. You said it to someone we were speaking to, didn't you, Lisa? About yeah, opening up the conversation. We were talking about like stats and figures and production and things like that. And I was like, let's just get back to the fact you're here and you're willing and ready to open up this conversation, which is the first step into re- re- removing the shame and the stigma around it because. That, in truth, is what keeps people stuck, isn't it? Um, And we kind of go in as more of a preventative measure um, rather than recovery. Yeah, yeah, rather than recovery. I think it's so important. So we talk about addiction all the time, but like, do we really understand what we mean by that? Like, so all we do is talk about addiction in terms of the behaviours that we visibly see. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot more than that. There's so much more. And that's why a lot of the work that we focus on is the education piece. Like, how do people become dependent? Why do they use? What are the risk factors yeah. for somebody to become more, you know, more prone to developing a dependence on substances? Uh, when you start doing stuff like that, then people will stop judging you by the homeless guy who's having a drink in the street. No. You know? yeah. That's not the definition of somebody who's dependent on alcohol. That's one version of it. There's yeah. It's like, where is that? You know, there is no definite line, is there, between all oh, those? That, I mean, we, we talk about it when we're stigmatising it and when we're kind of grouping it as they're the normal drinkers and that's they, these are the addicts. And there is no there is no crossover. There is no door you walk through. It starts from the moment you develop any relationship with alcohol or with drugs as a coping tool. At the moment that you start strike up that relationship, it doesn't matter whether you get addicted immediately or in 10 years, you're on that journey yeah no and to 100 percent. and you know know what's really important about the work that you guys do and the work that kind of recovery and community organizations like this do is the fact we're really good at doing the intervention so we're really good at getting the person detoxing them get them sober you know and then it's almost like yeah yeah. but like recovery is the hardest thing they do because it forces you to have to stand on your own two feet despite the world that's around you and it's it keeps going um and I have so much admiration for people who are sober, who are dealing with the stuff that happens in their life without, you know, having to dull that down or that necessity yeah. to use. But recovery happens in the community. It happens around people. It happens with people. And like the day that you're not feeling great because your life's falling apart, doesn't it? You want to be around somebody who goes like, I, I get that. Well, come on, let's let's just kind of let's just walk through this together. You know, it's normal to feel really crap about the chaos that's happening in your life 
But this is about you learning to learn to deal with your stuff now after years of not doing that. It's why our communities really are so important because people don't get it, do they? They just don't. And I think it's so nice. And we always say this, it gets used a lot about being surrounded by like-minded people that are on the same same journey. But it's so true. Like when you said about like that family, what do you call it? Tears and snotters. What did you call it? Tears and snotters. Yeah, tears and stuff. But I get it, you know, that relief. of I remember the first time I picked up a book and read about a lady that I related to with alcohol and was like, oh, my, I couldn't believe it. That feeling will never leave me. And I think if we keep creating these communities and walking in like I wanted to tears and snot when you were talking about that because I really really got it I'm like it's so needed do you ever just sit and think oh my god look what I've created do you know what and so sometimes you get glimpses of it whenever you're running something and you're so involved in all the work on parts you almost forget about that and and that's the reason why my wife's brilliant she grounds me very well all the time <laughs> and um sometimes it's just nice to it's nice to hear people do well you know yeah. and, and that's what it's about whether it's one person or one family member um and sometimes i think we i think maybe as somebody with that negative relationship with alcohol and drugs for all those years, I I am like a thousand miles an hour. I'm like, right, that's done now. On the next thing, without taking the time to sit down and think, we relate so much. That's why we're laughing. Honestly, like you have not, you do know because you've heard us, but we relate so much to that. Right, what's next? What's next? <laughs> yeah, that's done now. Right, yeah, people, those guys are helped. Right, who, who am I helping now? And, and 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 I think when you when you do that, the desire to help is always there. <laughs> But you also need to remember, you know, you need to remember the why. And I forget yeah. the why sometimes because I'm bogged down in just stuff that happens. Because as you grow, your role changes and things change. And 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 it's remembering why. And it's really funny because I, I was speaking to, we have like, we have these groups that are set up by our government every now and again where they bring people and they talk and nothing really happens but anyway we go and we talk anyway and um they were like what's the statistics like what's your success rate and what's what's the numbers i'm like how do you determine successful recovery like do you like do you, i can give you a figure that 92 percent of the people finish a program yeah but like is that is that what you're looking for or is it the fact that joe has now got his children back and has contact and Mary's way back to university to do a degree you know and, and that's the thing we, we, we're very heavily reliant on that statistical information that we forget that it's hard to do that it's hard to put a it right, is I'm it's so, like it's so refreshing to hear that, honestly, because one of the things that gets us, like I've just said before, was when we're sat in meetings and they're saying, right, what's your success rate? Just as you've said, and you're thinking, well, we've got a community of 250 odd people that are managing to not drink and they're coping with life and they're getting their children back and their driving licenses back and blah, 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 blah. You know, there's your success. Like, what do you want? And, it, and that's what I was just going to ask you, actually, about um, not just the workplaces, but generally, like... Do you find that you hit that you hit that kind of um, barrier a lot where people are saying, well, you only need to deal with these people. These are our addicts. These are our um, severe cases. Or are you able to work with people who maybe aren't at that stage yet? So we, um, in terms of inclusion, okay, so obviously there has to be some kind of exclusion criteria for this program right so say for example i can't have you coming in physically you know if you're using cocaine and you're heavily dependent and your heart rate's through the roof and i'm going to get you to train and put your heart rate up even further yeah. i'm a nurse but i don't want to be giving you mouth to mouth or defibbing you so there has to be the reality is we're a sober community that means we can't take people who are physically dependent now that doesn't mean that we can start our process of working with them to get there um, through through one day ones, we now have recovery coaches that are qualified on board and stuff as well. So we have uh, we have things that we can do there. But it goes back to what you were saying about the spectrum, right? So one end you have the dependent drinker or drug user who has to use every day, and then over here you've got. I keep using Joe. I don't know. Joe seems to be the name for today. <laughs> Go with Joe. Joe's fine. Joe's name, Joe. Yeah. Like Joe drinks three times a year, but every time he does, he gets arrested or some chaos happens. Like they're they're both, you know, respectful of coming in and yeah. to change their relationship 
with substances. And that's when you break it down to relationship. If it's a relationship, we can understand it because, you know, is this impacting your life negatively, albeit three times a year? Then come on here and we'll help you deal with it. As long as you subscribe to what we are, hey, no problem. I love what you do, honestly. I mean, I'm not sure. Yours and my journey, the personal journey, sound similar in some respects. So fitness has always been um, a big part of my life. I just didn't realise that alcohol was getting in the way of fitness, actually. I thought, you know, Saturday morning, I'd be that person who was up trying to sweat off the hangover, you know, like, it's all right to go to the gym twice a week. But actually, uh, my fitness skyrocketed. And then I've also qualified as level three PT since. Yeah, hey, so very similar. But I guess... What I see, I mean, I don't know if I've got this right, is we started with community and added fitness. You started with fitness and built a community. So I think we've kind of, do you see what I mean? Has it it been a massive, important part to your recovery journey, sobriety? I never, I was never physically fit. I got sober uh, at 30 um, and I never trained in the gym or I'd tried to do bits and pieces, but I remember one day... uh, my first wife used to be, she used to breathalyze me. So I thought, I thought I got away with it this one day. I thought, oh, I'm caught. She's going to do it now. So I'll go out for a run because that'll get all the alcohol out of the system. And that was about as, as physically active as, as I got. But then whenever I get sober, um, now my body was a mess. Like I had broken my back in 2005. I was missing bits, you know. And that's what happens when you stop. You're usually, you're quite broken uh, if you're doing yeah. that for a long period of time. Um, so a friend took me running to, to a running club. Uh, and I went the first session. I did the first session. It was dark. It was wet, and I hated it. And I threw up. And I was like, "Nah, I'm done. Running is not for me." And uh, he came back, and he brought me the following the following Thursday, and we did it again. And it was awful, but not as awful. And then I started to become consistent. And then I was like Forrest Gump. Right then, I was running two or three times a day. I was always out running, but I was processing a lot of that stuff. And then I grew to love physical activity because self-esteem, self-worth, self-confidence, started losing weight, became physically fitter, you know, all that stuff that comes with exercise. Um, there's, you know, there's just real gold in being physically active. And I think whenever you're you're using substances to that point where it's really impacting your life, you become extremely isolated and sedentary. Mm-hmm. And I think getting out and moving, we were created to move. We weren't created to sit in our butts. But we always tell people when they come here because they usually think physical activity means you have to join the gym and do like yeah. all these classes and stuff. It's literally about sitting down less and moving about more. We can get yeah. moving more. Hey, that's a good. it. Frightens people, I think, doesn't it? The idea of physical activity. Like I used to hate it. Like I hated it. Honestly, we, we started our B fit. <laughs> You've never ever done the couch to five k yet, have you? I've never Even finished you it, run. right? And I've realised I hate running. Well, I, I really want to enjoy running. I want to be that person that goes, I'm good because I love walking, I love nature. And sometimes I'd like to speed it up so I could fit it in. <laughs> Just right. like, so, you see the objects. Yeah, yeah. so a, a run would be appropriate sometimes that I could get it all in. But the amount of times I have downloaded the couch to 5K, and honestly, I think I was like a week off it the last time. I don't know why there's something stopping me doing it. But B-Fit sessions, we do them on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Love them now. And it's because I can see a physical difference. And yoga, which I think you said that you do as well, that's made such a difference. Yeah. So what I've started to kind of realise is I'm doing the things that I enjoy, like some stuff I just don't enjoy, so I'm not doing it. Not everybody likes the same thing. So it's about what you can offer. So, you know, if I expected everybody to come on the arc and love high intensity training, I'm not going to get a lot of people. But if you can offer them, right, okay, there's some of that. And then there's open gym sessions. You can come in with a trainer and train yourself. Or there's walking groups or you can go running. There's running. You have to yeah. Have options. It's a bit like what you, you guys provide a lot of options socially. So same idea is providing people with options here, spin classes, things things that are different, because not everybody likes the same thing. But what I did here in my head is that you guys are now going to set up a Couch to 5K led by you, so you can't back out of it, so you'll soon do your... Oh, no, guys, stop it. Let's stop talking now. It's time to go. <laughs> I, hear it, I hear it happening. I'm looking forward to seeing the adverts. Oh, you might. That, that, that is actually a, a running really club. Idea. We have got a running club, uh, which I don't yeah. think you... You're not even in it, are you, Lisa? No. No, I got I got rid of my 
Strava um, because I got too I got too affected by it. <laughs> I got too affected with the failure. Gaz, <laughs> <laughs> oh. if you've actually got a gym, then is that what you can you just describe your premises for us? Yep. So in July we moved from just a, a small studio we could probably train eight people um, to a unit now that we have got two gyms. So we have got. Wow. Two functional gym spaces. We have a fully functioning gym itself, cardio machines, resistance training machines. Um, we have one-to-one rooms. We have offices, showers, toilets. We have a, a sports massage therapist that, that, that rents a room office as well. And we have a room that we can deliver training in. So we, this is only three years, I suppose, when you think It's amazing. You've done so much. The trajectory has been really fast and there's been a lot of kind of adapting. Um but whenever we had, whenever we were able to get where we are now, we were able to use that as a hub. People can come here. We can host things here. I love it. We couldn't have that before. Now we it's can. amazing what you've achieved, nice. honestly. Like, can, I don't want to patronise you, but I don't. I don't suppose you hear this very often. But honestly, well done. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> done, you. Amazing. It um, is amazing. Before we ask you our last question, and obviously we want to say, don't go off. Right when we stop recording, stay on. We'd love a little five minute chat with you afterwards as well. Sure. Um, but go on, you ask it, Lisa. You love this question. Oh well, before we ask the question, I just wanted oh. to say it's like not really above. <laughs> she does this to me all the time. But not whereabouts in Northern Ireland are you? So we're in a place. Well, we're in the north of Ireland, so Derry, Stroke, London, Day. Um, kind of northwest, just beside Donegal. Because people need to know that I um my I married my ex husband. I shouldn't have married him at all ever. But I married my was... ex husband. That, that's not the start of a good sentence, is it? That sounds like there was no learning. There was no learning in that experience whatsoever. <laughs> she hasn't remarried him. She's talking about when she did marry him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely shouldn't have ever done it, and I was very drunk when I did. And actually, it was in Northern Ireland. And one of the things his mates did as soon as they got off the plane was go and find some cock. Ken, um, they think I didn't know about it, but they did. But I did, and she um, knows. But, yeah, and I do know. Uh, and I was fuming about it, and then I didn't want to marry him even more. It was just awful. I should never have done it. But what did come out of it is what an, what a beautiful place because we actually got married at the Giants Causeway. Oh, lovely. Um, so we did the drive. The first time I went over, we flew to London Derry and flew over the for Giants. that divorce. I did. <laughs> <laughs> we are like, it's good. <laughs> but yeah, it's like you're living a really like, well, I suppose it's like anywhere when I went to London. Is like drug addiction, alcohol, like is it a big thing there? I love where I come from. It's beautiful and the people are phenomenal. Northern Ireland is a really beautiful place. However, Derry itself is one of the top five socially economically deprived areas in the UK. So with that comes all of those challenges. So unemployment, uh, increased drug and alcohol use. Um, so unfortunately, we do have problems like like anywhere anywhere else. But I think what has happened is the landscape of drug and alcohol use has massively changed in the last while. Um, the last few years, anyway, the drug use has changed. Prescription medication and opiates are now the increase. That's all new. We're dealing with the fallout from that. Um, and alcohol use again in our culture. So we're Irish, like I mean, everybody. You know what I mean, if you don't, if you don't drink from birth, what's wrong with you? Like? Um, <laughs> it's true, isn't it? And people say that. I'd imagine wherever you go and then you speak with your Irish accent, people will assume that you drink a lot. And you say, actually, I don't drink. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Like, Tell me why. What is the point? I'm like, I just don't drink. Thank you very much. Um, but it's a real cultural thing. So I don't think we're any different. I think the, I think the landscape is just really difficult right now. Um, the world is different right now. Uncertainty yeah. and stresses are all there, but the, there is a massive issue, and the demand for our service has massively increased, um, especially in maybe the last nine months, um, where we can't meet the demand, which is so frustrating for me as an individual who wants to help people to get to that point where there's just no resources for me to do that, and it's hard. Like. So what's next, Gaz, do you think? How can you, I suppose, what can we do to help meet that demand? I think what's really what's really good is, I think for years and years we've, we've, we've worked in silos. This is my camp and this is your camp and don't you step foot in my camp. 
And yeah. That's not how this works. This is about collaboration. This is about relationship building. Yeah. This is about, you know, we're all trying to do the same thing. It might just look different, but there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think we need to get better at sharing a message. And I think the yeah. recovery community really needs to come together. Like, if you think we're so far behind America, if you look at America, look at all the recovery stuff that's happening over there. Yeah. It's huge. Like, I think we need to really push what we're all, anybody that's in the, the sober community, really push that. Be heard. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the start. You know, reach more. The internet's great because you can do more things. You can reach more people. Um, I agree. We need to be collaborating more, don't we? Because there's not, there's not the one thing for everybody. And people change and move forward and need different things. You know, like we find that in our community. We get people that come and join us. They absolutely love it. And then... They move, they go to that next step. And ready that's to do right. something new, aren't they? They're like yeah, ready for we'll more. Like or, e- yeah. Yeah. And we'll get emails like, thank you so much. I'm going to leave because I'm now doing this or doing that. And it's so lovely. It's obviously always sad when members go, but you know that they have to take that next step. It's like being mums and dads, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. and, and, like, and you invest in people so much. You invest in somebody starting a process and you watch them grow. Yeah. And you see them then start to flourish, and that's really nice to see. But then there is a point where people will want to do their own thing, and that has to be all right. Yeah, you've yeah. got to let them go, haven't you? But I think definitely collaborating and sharing, and honestly, if building communities, just building yeah. it, building yeah. the community. Yeah. yeah, talking about actually just respectfully talking about alcohol use, drug use. Family impact, just honest conversations, respectfully. But and I always say respectfully honest conversations because I think that's really important. How you talk about it and making it accessible to people is so important. Um, And like I think going back to your mum and dad, like you know, there wasn't access to information. Yeah. For them, where now there's a host of different people out doing really good things. You know, that can help. Just help, kind of. I don't inform their thinking. Like, it's so do? true. It, there's a whole new podcast to be had on barriers with language. Like you say, just open up that conversation that, you know, like in a way that people can access it because you even get into this, well, I don't class myself as in recovery. Well, I'm, I don't like the word sober. Well, I don't like the word alcohol dependent. And that even that oh, is a minefield. It's almost like before you go on, they speak to another organization, you have to apologize before you start speaking. They say, <laughs> I, if I apologize if I don't get the language correct, but the heart is in the right place. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry, I'm not an alcoholic, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did this the other day, you know, I put a post out on something on our Instagram and on it I'd said it shows that you don't need to be like a raging alcoholic to want to stop drinking. And then I was like shit why did I write that like people are gonna go mad that I've said that because is that like then really disrespectful I really struggled with it and somebody sent me a voice note and I was like oh my god they're gonna tell me off to say it, it was nothing to do with that that would just me really overthinking that sentence but um yeah I didn't like that <laughs> I think we're only, we're only human too like I don't walk around all day and get my language right all the time there's times the words slip out and I'm like yeah, I, I, I do that all the time, guys. My words slip out of my mouth. I have to be filtered. <laughs> <laughs> They're funny, though. Right, I'm going to ask the question now because <laughs> we've well like gone off track. Right, guys, be brave, be kind, be sober. Not all. And what we want to know is which do you most relate to right now and why? So be brave. Yeah, and I'm going to say that for, I'm going to say for two reasons. So if you're an individual who is struggling with your relationship with alcohol or drugs or whatever that is, it is such a scary thing to put yourself out there. It is such a scary thing to reach out, to make a phone call, to ask. Bravery uh, comes from vulnerability, okay? And vulnerability is literally saying, I need help with this, okay? And through, and that is one of the most bravest things you can do is to accept that I am struggling. And it's not a weakness, it's not a failure. It's a brave thing to do. So if you are struggling, be brave, reach out to those people that are actually there to help. And the last part being selfish for me is the be brave part. When you're a person in recovery and you're 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 putting yourself out there, you actually need to have a lot of, so it's a brave thing to do because what you do is you open yourself up to the world. Um, you open your life up, you open your flaws up, you open all that sort of stuff. So being brave is really important. 
to be the person that's trying to support people too. So it fits those two things. You know what? I was so excited about this podcast, genuinely. And I know that one of our members is going to be laughing her head off at me because I always say, oh, this has been one of my favourites. I was so excited. But right, I'm going to say it genuinely. It's well exceeded my expectations as well. I really, really loved it. Thank you. These are just really lovely people they talk to. And it's really refreshing. Um, and that's why these conversations are important because like, everybody here wants to help people. We're not superhuman. Yeah. Warts and all. I don't get it right. We're not going to get it right. But if you surround yourself just with good people, good things happen. Oh, thank you so much for coming on, Gaz. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Gaz. And wait thank there. You. <laughs> See you again. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Don't forget to follow us or subscribe. And of course, share it with your friends to help spread the be sober love. And if you want to find out more about the work we do or you want to join our amazing community at Be Sober, you can find out more about us on our website, besoberofficial.com. So until next time, be brave, be kind, and and be be sober. sober.